is good all the time what a blessing this morning and um, before I get started this morning or this afternoon we haven't got Bob that watch yet we were going to get with the Christmas offering <laughs> um, I just personally want to say thank you and I think we all want to say thank you uh, for 43 years of Christmas concerts here in Calamesa to Dr. Bob. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> 43 years. I'm almost that old, right? <laughs> 43 years of persistence, of faithfulness, to let the community around us know that the Calamese Seventh-day Adventist Church is all about Jesus. Because we want to make that totally clear. We don't want any confusion about that in this community. 
And I want to say thank you also to Shirley Jones and Marianne Yurtig and Stephanie Church and all their team for all the decorations in here and how beautiful it is. Isn't it gorgeous? Yes. And I also want to say thank you to Maggie Cotton and Rhonda Wilson for decorating the fellowship hall and how beautiful it looks and how wonderful it was on Wednesday night for our Christmas with the classics. So thank you to them as well. Yes. And uh, I should also say, I think uh, Pam Emerson in the foyer, you know, always does a great job, right? I don't want to leave anybody else out either. Yeah. And myself, no, just kidding. <laughs> It's good. I love Christmas, and I love the spirit of Christmas in Cala Mesa. And uh, we've began this journey with the magnificence of Jesus. A couple weeks, we talked about the messengers that came before. Last week, Pastor Ken talked about the manger. And today, we're talking about the Messiah. The Messiah. The message of the angels that came on that night to the shepherds. As Pastor Ken touched on it a bit last week, he came to them, and this was the message the angel said. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That was the message that night. And that's the message for all the world, the message for us today on this Sabbath morning as well. Do not be afraid. The angels bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Listen to their message, church. Today, and this message is just as relevant as it was then as it is today. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I love how our drama group brought out the meaning of Messiah this morning. Messiah in the Greek, Christ, the Christ, the anointed one of God, the one in whom God sets apart. And in the Old Testament, anointings were usually set apart for prophets and for priests and for kings, for they were called and consecrated for a special service for God. And yet this Messiah, God points out through various scriptures in the Old Testament, this Messiah would be all three. This Messiah, this anointed one, would be God's consecrated one who would be prophet, priest, and king. All three. And he would also be, as none of them were, God's very son. God's very son. The anointed one of God, the Christ, the one and the only. Now, one of the other things I love about Christmas and the Christmas season is I always love to revisit Matthew's genealogy where he talks about the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole genealogy to you so you can breathe a sigh of relief at this point. But sometimes we see these genealogies and we think, oh, all these names, all these names. But names are important because these genealogies remind us that God is involved in the lives of people. He's not just a God that's off in the distance. He's a God that's in, involved in the life of his creatures. And so Matthew starts off his genealogy when he says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And as you go through the list, you find all of these names you may know, you may not know. 
And he gets to the end and he says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. But in the midst of this, we have all these messy stories of, of dysfunctional family systems and all kinds of things that have gone on in the lives of humanity. And it's all part of the royal heritage of the Messiah. And so you have the story, and I, I mark them in red, even though you may not be able to see them all, but I love how the New, the new Living Translation, you know, just says it as it is. In verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and, and Zerah, in parentheses, whose mother was Tamar. If you're familiar with the story of Tamar, it's not a pretty story. It's, pretty, it's a pretty rough story. In verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And you go on into verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. I love what N.T. Wright says, scholar of New Testament and, and biblical history. Matthew adds to his list reminders of the strange ways God worked in the royal family itself. Judah treating his daughter-in-law Tamar as a prostitute. Boaz being the son of the Jericho prostitute Rahab and David committing adultery with the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And yet, these horrible mistakes, these horrible actions in the lives of humanity does not stop, stop God from wanting to connect with us. Because God's Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one set apart, prophet, priest, and king will come and redeem his creation. I love the words of Anne Voskamp when she writes about Rahab, just to kind of look at one of these in our family tree. Rahab has had a line waiting out her back door. Men lined up at her inn, wanting a place to lie down. In a town with no Sabbaths, no lines of God's word ever read, no prophets with a message of a coming visitation from heaven, she's one woman alone with the grime of too many nights on her hands, the weight of too many wounds on her heart. A woman who looks up in her godless mess and sees the tenderness of God. In a place of faithlessness and doubtfulness and godlessness, God gives God. The God who can reveal himself wherever, whenever, to whomever. The God who is never limited by lack or restricted to the expected. The God who is no respecter of persons, but the relentless rescuer of prodigals. The God who gives the gift of faith in the places you'd most doubt. That is always the secret to the abundant life. To believe that God is where you doubt he can be. A baby in a manger. God in the flesh on a cross. God coming to serve and not be served. Again, N.T. Wright says in his commentary on Matthew, if God can work through these bizarre ways, he seems to be saying, watch what he's going to do now. That's at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And then you look at the rest of Matthew's gospel and you can't believe what God is doing in the lives of people. Christmas is a time where it seems so filled with so many different emotions. At one time we can feel like rejoicing, and at the other time we can have a heavy burden in our heart for what's going on in our life situation. 
happiness and sadness at the same time, fullness and yet brokenness, joyfulness and yet maybe even lament. Yet in the midst of this complexity of feelings and emotions and life experiences, Messiah comes. Messiah comes to this world, to a humanity who wrestles with the tensions of living both broken and whole, happy and sad, full and yet empty. Living with the longing of eternity and yet feeling the weight of the temporary. Jesus one day asked his disciples, asked them a question. He said, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them another question, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Who do you say that I am? A few years ago on that wonderful game show, Family Feud, they asked the question, when someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? Out of 100 people, number one answer was, guess what? Elvis Presley. (laughs) 81 people out of 100, Elvis the king. Number two response, seven people out of 100 said God or Jesus. Number three, three people said Martin Luther King Jr. And number four, two people said the Burger King. (laughs) Jesus asked his disciples, And I want to invite you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, he's asking you that today too. Who do you say that I am? When he asked his disciples, survey said, well, survey says number one answer, maybe John the Baptist. Number two, Elijah. Number three, maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But the real question Jesus was asking was, who do you say that I am? Am I really the Messiah to you? Or am I one of many possible powers to help you get through a struggle of life? What's your confession, church? Who do you say that he is? He claims to be your Messiah. He wants to be your Messiah. Andrew ran and found his brother, Peter. We found the Messiah. We found the Christ, the anointed one of God. What must it felt like for Peter to hear his brother say, we found him. We found the one. Come. What must it felt like for the woman at the well that John reports in the fourth chapter when the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What must it felt like for him to look into her eyes and say, I'm him. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been looking for. 
I'm here to declare all things to you. Church, I want you to imagine just for a moment that Jesus is standing right in front of you, looking into your eyes, and he's telling you, I'm your Messiah. I'm the one you've ultimately been looking for. I am the one, the one and only, who will declare all things to you. And all the things you want to know about this life and the life to come, I am the answer for all of that. I am in one being, your prophet who will speak truth to you. I am your priest who will intercede for you and make all things right. And I am your king, the only one that can be trusted with your life to rule and to reign with righteousness and truth. John later in his gospel, chapter 20, said that all the things that he wrote were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In the book of Acts chapter 5, it says that the apostles day after day in the temple and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Go back with me 700 years, if you will, back to Isaiah, the Christmas prophet, as I like to refer to him. And he tells us how this Messiah is going to come about and what his business is going to be about. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. I don't know much about gardening, and to say I have a green thumb would be one of the greatest lies I could ever tell. But I love the beauty of flowers and plants and trees and so forth. And, and um, we have these bushes, these plants in our yard, front yard and backyard that I love because they just blossom throughout the year and they, 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 they produce this little red rose that uh, one plant produces several of them. And when we were landscaping our, our our front and backyard, I had this landscaper that I was consulting, and he, he recommended getting this particular plant. He says, because this plant will just, all year round, it'll just keep blooming, he says. And when, and when other people around your neighborhood, when they're, when they're dry seasons, this thing will just be firing off red roses. It'll look like the 4th of July is going off at your house. I said, I want those. Give me those. And we got those. And so I love watching, you know, sometimes just the red roses all around. Well, I, um, a, few, a few months ago, I noticed that this one particular bush, plant, I don't even know what it's called, it shows you how much I don't know about gardening. It was looking like it was dying, and I was getting concerned. And I said, I know I'm watering it. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Although I did discover that gophers like these plants. 
because uh, we had a couple in the backyard and we had uh, some hibiscus, yellow hibiscus plants in between them and they were dying and I said, what's going on? And I found out they liked the roots of this, this plant. Well, this one's in our front yard and we live on the corner and so as I come around the corner and I, I, I always look at them and I noticed one didn't seem to be making it. Then just last week, I was coming around the corner and I noticed this, this, this shoot, if you will, and we can go to the next picture to kind of zoom in on it because you can see all the barrenness there. But then there's this shoot that I saw the green life and this red rose starting to bud. And I actually got so excited, I stopped the car. Right there on the corner. I stopped the car and I said, yes, it's alive. It's going to live. And I got out of my car, as any preacher does, and said, this is a sermon illustration. And I get out and I take pictures of it, get back on my car, I go, oh, thank goodness, it's going gonna, it's gonna to live. We're going to see more red roses. But out of this barrenness comes this thing of beauty. Just as Isaiah is saying, out of this barrenness, out of this stump, out of these things, this God is going to break through. In the moments of darkness, in the moments of exile, in the moments of brokenness, maybe even death and seasons of grieving and lament, God is not ever going to leave you. He will always be there. He will always show up. And in some way, the pain and the scar will turn into some type of gift of miracle for expanding and proclaiming the goodness of God and his reign on earth now and to come. Church, there's a lot in this world I don't like. There's a lot in this world I do like. But I gotta be honest with you, there's, a, there's days where I see the news, I hear the news, and I want it to end. I want Jesus to come back. That's a good thing to want. However, in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our waiting, I have to proclaim also with Chris Tomlin who wrote a song, Jesus Messiah, God, with all that's going on, the abuse of power politically, the abuse of power over women, over men too, over countries, all our hope is in you, God. Because <laughs> I can't put it in any political power. I can't put it in any human power. My hope is in you, and my hope is in you, breaking forth in times when it seems so dry, when it seems so dark sometimes and so painful. I believe you are going to continue to show up as you did as our Messiah. And church, I'll confess to you as well, sometimes I have to cognitively, intentionally say, Jesus, today you are my Messiah. Because sometimes in the busyness of life, the stress of life, the worry, the concerns, the, all the things that go on, sometimes I go on like acting like I don't have a Messiah. And I have to stop and say, Jesus, I confess you as my Messiah. Be my Messiah. I remember as a little kid hearing the saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. <laughs> and forget that you have a Messiah. And so I thank God for Christmas to remind us. In church, I hope you are being reminded today, if you've forgotten, you have a Messiah. And his name is Jesus. Yeah. Ann Voskamp writes again. 
Jesus doesn't ultimately give you a how-to because Christianity is ultimately about who-to. Every religion, every program, every self-help book is about steps you have to take. Jesus is the only one who becomes the step to take you. To take us who are the dog-tired and the debtors, the deluders and the desperados. To take us who are the lost and the long way from arriving. Us who are bone-weary of all the trying and the striving. Christ becomes the one step we can never take and takes us. He comes to us not in spite of our failings, but precisely because of them. Ours is the God who is drawn to those who feel down. Ours is the God who is attracted to those who feel abandoned. Ours is the God who is bound to those who feel broken. Every, everywhere stairways for the sinners, everywhere ladders for the lost, everywhere gateways to God. Are you feeling afraid this Christmas? Overwhelmed? Hurt? Anxious? Hoping? Messiah has come to you and will continue to come to you. And may this Advent season not only remind us of our yearning and our aching for God to come, may it remind us also of God's yearning and aching to come to us, to be with us. That's why he has come. And a love like this has to make us curious, has to make us wonder and ponder. If God loves me this much, then what does that say about my life? If God loves me, if the Messiah is for me, then who and what can be against me? We must rejoice like Handel in his Messiah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that God has sent his Messiah that we could reign with him forever. I want to close with a, a video clip. A video clip that to me really reminds me and speaks to what Messiah is all about, what Christmas is all about. It's a four-minute video of an amazing choir doing a flash mob of the Hallelujah Chorus in a food court in a mall. And what I love about it is that there is just the ordinary going on right there with Arby's and New York taco or whatever it is and this and that. And it starts with one person standing up singing Hallelujah. And then it swells and it continues to grow, proclaiming the goodness of our God of sending the Messiah. And then I love how when it's all over, they all sit back down and it all goes back to life as normal. But church, that's the problem. Once we accept Jesus as our Messiah, life is never normal again. It's amazing. Let's enjoy this together.
with me please I want to invite you this morning in this silent moment in the stillness of this moment to again take the opportunity 
to look into your Savior's eyes. And maybe you might hear him say to you, I am the Messiah. I am your Messiah. I'm the one who has come to be your prophet, to be the one who speaks the true words of life to you every day. To be your priest, the one who has made all things right with you and God. And the one who has come to be your king, inviting you into my kingdom now and forever. No matter the hurt or the pain or the joys, I will always be your Messiah. And so now as we go, may we go with hearts full in this Christmas season, for the Messiah has come to us. God bless you. So